Welcome to Calvary Community Church News Network. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? I'm Kent MacGyver. Today, Pastor Nathan is continuing our series, Ancient Texts from Modern Times, where he'll be talking about how in the midst of our brokenness and weakness, God loves to use us for his mighty purpose. If you're... If you're new here, we would love to connect. You can message us on Facebook, Instagram, or by simply texting hello to 587-323-1199, and we'll reply right back. Stay classy, Calvary. This morning we're going to be diving into Psalm 8, and to me it's one of the most inspiring psalms out of the 150 psalms in the Bible. But let's take a minute to step backward to get our bearings. Before Psalm 8 and Psalms 3 through 7, we see King David's story during a time when he's hiding from his enemies. He's totally powerless, and in these poems, David cries out to God, asking him to restore him to his role as king. After Psalm 8 and Psalm 9 through 14, David is joined by a group of people called the poor and conflicted ones. Like David, they're oppressed by powerful rulers, and they are also crying out to God for deliverance. Both of these groups are powerless and weak, but God has chosen them to rule the world. And that's where Psalm 8 comes in. First, we're going to listen and read Psalm 8 together. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So if you have your physical Bibles open or if you have the Bible app open on your phone, we're starting off with the little subtitle right underneath chapter 8. And it says, To the choir master, according to the Giddith, a psalm of David. The choir master is God and the Giddith is an instrument from Gath. 
Most historians aren't sure what the instrument was, but they believe it was a stringed instrument, specifically a ten-stringed instrument, similar to the Kenor harp. David would have used this instrument to go through the psalm that we're going through today. So we're going to take a listen, and I want you to picture and imagine what that would sound like along with this music. I know that was a little long, but I want you guys to be able to picture what David was doing out in the wilderness, playing this on his giddeth while he's worshiping God. Pretty peaceful. I love minor keys. An interesting fact, the Kenor was actually the instrument used by David to calm King Saul's demonic torment in 1 Samuel chapter 16. So to reiterate, a song that David composed to God, the choir master, which was played on the giddeth. In the next portion, we read, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So in this first sentence, we see that there are two words for Lord here. The first is all capitalized. When you see this in the Old Testament, it's typically the Hebrew word Yahweh. Yahweh was the title to describe God, specifically the covenant God of Israel. The second Lord with a capital L, while the rest is lowercase, is the Hebrew word Adonai. Adonai means master, but in context, it's our master, our sustainer, our support. So in other words, David is saying, O Yahweh, our covenant God, our Adonai, our master, our support, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How majestic is your name in all the earth. So while he's the covenant God of Israel, he's not just the God of Israel. He is the God of the whole earth. This line is repeated at the end of Psalm 8, and this is a writing tool called an inclusio. It's meant to let the reader know what the poem is all about. And right now it's referring to God's majestic power that fills all of creation. Next we read, you have set your glory above the heavens. While he's the God of all the earth, you can see his power, his characteristics, his attributes on display across the universe. God is the king of all creation. And, when we transition, and then we transition to a really interesting bit here. It says, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. 
So David started off by saying, How great is our God by his evident power and glory in all of creation, evident around the earth, evident from the heavens, the stars, and planets above. And he contrasts this by saying how his strength and glory is also visible in children and infants. To me, this statement has multiple points. The first one is that you can see the complexity and wonderfulness of God as a baby is being fashioned together in its mother's womb and its first three years of life. One of my favorite parts from my wife's pregnancy was using an app called What to Expect. And every week there was an explanation of what was happening in terms of the baby's physical development. A 2016 paper in the Journal of Cancer Research and Clinical Oncology says, during pregnancy, if the mother suffers from organ damage, the baby in the womb will donate stem cells to help repair the damaged organ. The Israeli Academy of Science found that when a mother and newborn lock into each other's eyes, their heart rate can coordinate within seconds. One of the funny facts I came across is the development of a boy compared to a girl. So each sperm cell carries an X or Y chromosome, which determines the gender. XX is a female baby, and XY is a male baby. But up until around seven weeks in the womb, all babies are female. Around that time, the babies with an XY chromosome will have a wave of testosterone wash over their brain. Those babies end up becoming male. Margaret M. McCarthy, a professor of physiology at the University of Maryland, who studies early brain development, says among its many other jobs, testosterone shapes a male's developing brain. Now get this, she continues with, studies show that testosterone reduces the connections between brain cells in some places, namely emotional centers of the brain, and bulks them up in other places. Testosterone reducing these connections in the brain causes an impairment. In other words, as a professor of my psychology class so eloquently put it, there's a wash of hormones over the brain causing emotional brain damage and thereby making the baby male. (laughs) I've heard plenty of husbands say that they're the emotionally advanced ones in their relationship, but clearly it's the opposite. We have a lot to work on to catch up to our wife, gentlemen. Moving on, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. The second and most important point of this verse is that God displays his strength in unlikely vessels to silence the enemy. When God works in a powerful way through a weak person, our enemy has nothing to say. This is a reoccurring theme throughout the Bible, and I'm going to say it again. God uses weak and small things to display his strength. The point of this verse is found in Matthew 21, 15 to 16, which says, But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things Jesus did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read, and this is where Jesus quotes Psalm 8, from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. So Jesus was performing miracles, and the children were praising him. 
the religious leaders in the temple were upset and they confronted Jesus. Then Jesus directly quotes Psalm 8. There's a few key things to notice here. When Jesus quotes this passage in Matthew 21, Jesus told the people who he was. He confirmed with them that he was Hosanna, which means Savior in this context. It's also used as a word for praise. And who they were, the children that are praising God in verse 8, the infants and the children. They get their strength from God in verse 8. Excuse me. And by referencing Psalm 8, he put the religious leaders in the category of the enemy. Well, David had recognized that God likes to use the weak things to shame the darkness. David had also prophesied, most likely unknowingly, about this interaction with Jesus and with Jesus himself. It sets a pattern for the ultimate human, the Messiah. The Jews at the time believed that Jesus was going to come in and topple the Roman government, that God, I'm sorry, was going to come in and topple the Roman government, that he was going to make them the kings. But Jesus came from a family that was marginalized, rejected. He was a friend of the poor, the frail. He came in as a humble servant, which was the opposite of what the religious leaders were expecting at the time. Mark 10 verse 45 says, For even Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. David also notes that strength is connected with praise, that when we praise God about the things he's done, it fortifies us against attack from the enemy. It's hard to think of anything more weak and helpless than a baby, and in many ways you can say that we are the babies and the weak ones. In the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our frailty, God wants to give us strength, and he wants to do incredible things through us. When we think of what God accomplishes through someone like you, someone like me, it puts the enemy to shame. This is also paralleled in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27, which says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Next we have, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, David first considers the heavens, the stars, astronomical bodies, celestial objects. We have a real advantage over David. We have the internet, we have books, we have courses that show us the beauty of God from a cosmic scale to a microscopic scale. For instance, and I've mentioned some of these facts before, but you can fit about 1.3 million Earths into our sun, into the star of our solar system. But if you look at the largest star we've observed in the universe so far, called the UI Skatai, you can fit around 3.6 billion of our suns into that star. So 1.3 million Earths into our sun and 3.6 billion of our suns into this star. Or just for fun, Dr. Barry Starr, a a geneticist in residence at the Tech Museum of Innovation in San Jose, California, that says from a microscopic scale, if you were to unravel one person's DNA, one person's DNA, it would strand 1.6 billion kilometers. That means one person's DNA 
could stretch to the sun and back 61 times. Isaiah 40 verse 12 says that God can measure the universe in the spans of his fingers. When people casually dismiss the idea of God, it kind of makes me laugh. You're trying to disprove a being that created an immense universe, which by itself is already beyond our scope of reasoning and understanding. Speaking of people, the next section says, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? What is man? What is mankind? Dr. Derek Kidner, a British scholar well-known for his commentaries on the Old Testament, noted that David's question is referenced elsewhere in the Old Testament. I'm paraphrasing this quote, but in Psalms 144 verse 3, the phrase, what is man, mocks the arrogance of the rebel. In Job 7 verse 17, it is a sufferer's plea for respite. In Job 25 verse 6, it shudders at human sin. But here in Psalm 8, it has no tinge of pessimism, only astonishment that God is mindful of us and that he cares for us. At some point, most of us have looked up into the night sky and we've either felt so small that we were insignificantly significant or significantly insignificant. But David acknowledges that God is mindful of man. God thinks about us. He cares for us. And David doesn't just use it once, but he mentions it twice. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. In these two questions, David is using a Hebrew poetic tool for emphasizing this point. God does not just think about us, but he cares for us. The next verses say, yet you have made him a little lower than heavenly beings, a little lower in angels, some translations say, and crowned him with glory and honor. In Genesis, God elevated mankind for this majestic task to be his image, who will rule over all of creation. God saw that, uh, David saw that God made man a little lower than the angels. Now, if an angel were to appear in the room right now, we would all probably fall on our knees and be terrified. Typically, when our culture pictures angels, we picture human-like figures with wings or fat little babies with wings floating around. And while Hebrews 13 verse 2 does say that angels can take on a human form, it appears from various descriptions in the Bible that they look nothing like us. Some have eyes all over their bodies with multiple sets of wings. Some have animal-esque heads that make it sound really disturbing. Anyways, it's interesting because David elevates us above animals but below angels, but just a little bit below angels. Our culture likes to try and believe that we're simply a more advanced animal, that we're a more advanced mammal, but our purpose is far more majestic than that. God has a purpose and a plan and calling for each one of us, and he cares for us and he thinks about us. We do have to note that sometimes in both Hebrew and Greek, the word little means a little while or a little time. So it is accurate to read this as, you have made them for a little while lower than the angels. And this reflects 1 Corinthians 6 verse 3 that says, don't you realize that we will judge angels? So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. Verse 1 talks about God's glory being above the heavens, but he has put this glory on us like a crown. 
Once again, God loves to elevate the powerless so he can rule the world through them. This goes back to verse 2, where the comparison was about how through beings like babies, small, weak, messy, loud, etc., God uses them to silence the enemy. What is man that you are mindful of him? Man is small and weak and messy and loud. But God, you still chose to crown us with glory and honor. The next section says, You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put him over all things, put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. When David talks about man, mankind being given dominion over the works of God's hands, David understood the mandate that was given to Adam and Eve and their descendants. That's both in Genesis 1 and Genesis 9. David is using the same terminology found in Genesis, and he was also acquainted with the book of Genesis. God put mankind over the earth, and as part of that authority, mankind is accountable for the earth, its resources, and the creatures on it. The fact that God gave mankind dominion does not mean the earth belongs to mankind. It is still God's, but rather means that we are caretakers and stewards of the earth, which means we are called to use the earth to honor God. We're given dominion over the resources of our creator. Now, we're not called to worship the earth. And I mention that because, and this is a ministry that's very near and dear to my heart, but there's an explosive growth of Wiccanism and New Age practices over the last 10 years, both of which center or have major practices involving earth worship. A Pew Research Center study found that an estimated 4 million people in North America say they practice Wicca or paganism, a rise from an estimated 8,000 Wiccans in 1990 and 340,000 in 2008. This number has continued to grow, but you know what's exciting? is the number of converts from these areas, from these practices, and to Christianity. How exciting is it that we've seen eight New Age and practicing Wiccans come to Christ this year alone? There's ministry after ministry that's starting to pop up and go into these psychic fairs to pray for people, go into these witches' shops to pray for people, and we're seeing these people cry out more and more. We are called to protect the earth, to use and steward it wisely. We are called to redeem the earth. Romans 8 says that all of creation is longing and waiting to be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain that freedom from the sons and daughters of God. Our stewardship of the earth should reflect the grandness of our creator. Worship team, you can come back up. Finally, we end with, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How majestic is the name of the God who strung the stars in the sky, who created us from a microscopic scale that he cares and thinks about us. Today, you have an opportunity right now to say, I'm broken, I'm frail. I'm not whole, but I want to be used by the Creator to do amazing things. I want to be used by the one who placed 
the stars and the heavens in the sky. I want to work with the one who thinks about me and cares about me even though I'm broken and weak, who wants you to come to him broken and weak and doesn't expect you to get your life together or get things in order before you come to him. If you're tired of doing this on your own, I want you to repeat after me. Dear God, I know that I am broken, a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn away from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want you to make me whole. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we'd like you to text the number that comes up on the screen. We want to connect with you. We want to walk with you along this journey through the highs and lows. We want to be there for you. Thanks for joining us. If you need anything, don't hesitate to contact us. You can find more information on our website or on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. We'll see you again soon.